for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. It does. It's party time. Hello, power partners, and welcome to Star Style. Be the star you are, where we are all stars, and we are all here to have a good time and to get informed and motivated, learn some new things, hopefully have a couple of laughs, but most of all, learn how to care for ourselves, care for the planet, and care for people around us. The miracle moment for today is brought to you by Be The Star You Are Charity that brings you this radio show every week live on the Voice America Network, the Empowerment Channel, from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific. The website is bethestarur.org. And if you're just one of those people that like to use letters, just use btsya.org. And it's from Virgil. I actually have two. Fortune favors those who dare. And a Chinese proverb, when the heart is at peace, the body will be healthy. And I think uh, both of those are really good because we want to always reduce our stress and try to have peace in our own lives so that we can have peace on the planet. And speaking of the planet... One million of the Earth's eight million plant and animal species face imminent extinction. That is a lot. And it's happening at a rate of tens to hundreds times the speed as the rate over the past uh, 10 million years. So our ecosystems and humans are threatened. What can we do? We're going to talk about that in segment two. And then when it comes to love, should you pay more attention to your kids or to your partner and your spouse? It's really an interesting question because you got together with your spouse or your partner for love and then you decide to have kids. The kids come along and you just love them so much. Um, But are you like leaving your spouse or your partner out of the equation now? And research is proving that kids are most adjusted and happiest when their parents have a great relationship. So we'll leave it to you um, to decide what it is that you think uh, is the best. And that will be coming up in segment three. But right now, I'm going to be talking about... Uh, retirement and the case against early retirement. It was uh, there was a great article in the Wall Street Journal a few months ago because so many people, you know, dream of retiring early. I actually have a niece that is doing so well that in her early 30s, she's already talking about retirement. Now, I mean, I know she's a go-getter, so you know, retirement from her nine-to-five job will just mean that she will be an entrepreneur and start something else up. But it just is amazing to me that, you know, people think of, you know, have these plans to retire by 30 or 40 or even 50. So if you have a plan for what you'll do for the rest of your life, 
after that, that's a great idea. I mean, are you getting somebody, you can only golf and travel and sit in rocking chairs for a certain amount of time. But there's a lot of research out there that indicates that health problems intensify after workers qualify for any retirement benefits. And interestingly enough, they abate when there is more introduced work. So we are going to discuss that because most people do look forward to retirement, you know, a a reward for decades of hard work. But like many other pleasures, it might be bad for your health. And research is saying that retirement can actually kill you. And maybe you know some people who have retired Maybe it was at um, 50 or at 60 or at 62, at 65, and in a couple of years, they're dead. Well, how can that be? And how can working longer be good for your health? Because after all, many people dream of and plan for retiring early. You know, strenuous, stressful work, it wears people down. And we always feel that this damages our our health. But on the other hand, retirees get the time to relax, sleep in, reinvigorate themselves. They have time to follow their passion, you know, pursue activities that maybe they didn't have when they in their working lives. And that enriches their lives. But when we get in that rush to leave our business, our office, our employment, we don't realize that retirement also has a downside, especially over the long term, because many retirees will indulge in unhealthy behaviors. They might become sedentary. They may watch just too much television. They become couch potatoes. You know, they get that couch behind that I like to talk about. They eat too much, they drink too much, they smoke too much. And without that, without that purpose of fulfilling work, retirees can kind of feel adrift and many become depressed. And another big thing about retiring is you don't have the camaraderie of your coworkers. So what happens is retirees risk becoming socially isolated. And that is always a bad thing. They don't have the intellectual stimulation that work provides. And what happens with that is retirement accelerates cognitive decline. So the problem for researchers is actually measuring which is the more powerful force, the joys of a more leisurely life or the downsides. And there's an experimental study in which researchers randomly forced some workers to retire and others to remain in the labor force. And that would provide the best evidence. But how can you do that kind of experiment? You can't really force somebody to retire unless you pay them, right? So instead, researchers have to turn to statistics that rely on factors that affect work, but they're not really related to health. For example, Social Security eligibility ages, tax breaks for older workers, or mandatory retirement rules. And then those same scientists and researchers can determine how health changes when those milestones are reached. So the result, many of these studies clearly show that health problems intensify after workers qualify for retirement benefits. And then they abate after policies encouraging work are introduced. So there was a study in 2018 by Cornell University and the University of Melbourne. It was, um, you know, a dual American-Australian. And they used administrative data covering the entire U.S. adult population to examine how mortality rates changed at 82 when people first began collecting Social Security benefits because death is the definitive indicator of poor physical health, right? So um, you can't really 
measure um, physical health, but you can measure the number of deaths. So these two doctors from these two universities and their students found that men are 2% more likely to die in the very first month that they turn 62 than in the month before that. And that mortality surge is driven largely by increases in deaths from lung cancer, chronic, you know, obstructive pulmonary diseases and risk factors for those conditions, which include smoking and lack of physical activity. And these also become more common when people retire. Now, mortality rates at age 62 increased less for women than for men. And that relationship isn't really clear cut yet because perhaps the 62 mortality is just, you know, very low for women because maybe they're not retiring so much then. But there is evidence that comes from looking at a Dutch policy that um, changed in 2009 and introduced a tax break for older workers. So it provided workers a 5% bonus at age 62, a 7% bonus at 63, and a 10% bonus at 64. In other words, a work that's working. So they were incentives. They were eliminated in 2013, spurred by men age 62 to 64, and they had smaller effects on women. So using that temporary policy innovation as a type of social experiment the um, Center for Retirement Research at Boston College concluded that if we can delay retirement and reduce the five-year mortality rate for men in their 60s by 32%, and as in the U.S. study, there wasn't really an impact for women. So the evidence is suggesting that retirement accelerates cognitive decline, and the mental exercise that work provides seems to keep people really sharp. So learning new skills is really important. And we have to um, establish cognitive reserves. They put that in quotations. And those are activities that help the brain become more adaptable and better compensate for age-related erosion in cognitive abilities. So um, there are economists, too, that um, span, that are using data, and that's in uh, U.S., England, and 11 European countries. And they're showing that retirement significantly reduces cognitive function because when people retire, they typically get less mental exercise. And doing a crossword puzzle just isn't enough. You know, it work activities are generally more stimulating than home activities. So retirees may routinely, you know, they might play bridge or do those cro- uh, crossword puzzles. And that's good. That's good. But it isn't as intellectually challenging as your job. And a 2014 study of a half a million retired self-employed workers in France found that dementia was significantly less common among those who were still working and retired later than those who retired earlier. So that makes me want to just keep working until I can't work anymore. And the social network, of course, another risk for retirees is leaving the workforce. It really can cause that social isolation. Most workers interact extensively with their colleagues, and that provides social support, camaraderie, help, smiles, you know, all that kind of stuff where you can just talk to people and have people around you. 
And although you'd think that retirement provides people with additional time to nurture social sty- uh, social ties, what Sir- Syracuse University um, researchers found that retirement shrinks your social networks and your frequency of social interactions. So that impact is especially large for women and for college graduates, which is interesting. Smaller social networks and social is- isolation reduce life satisfaction, and then that in, you know, impairs your physical and your mental health. So it's really important to point out that a paying job isn't always the necessary thing. It could be a volunteer job, an unpaid activity, as long as it involves levels of physical, cognitive, and social en- engagement similar to those in paid employment. So, you know, you could go to volunteer match and find like a charity like Be The Star You Are if you want to volunteer for something. And these days there's lots of virtual things that you can do as well. But, you know, um, what happens is work, whether it's paid or unpaid, it reduces depression, loneliness, and it improves the life satisfaction. Uh, The studies, of course, are not definitive. There's always more research that's needed to establish the pathways through which uh, retirement and the stopping of work can affect our health. And we need to identify which type of workers are most affected. For example, the health benefits of work aren't generally shared by people with especially stressful, boring, or physically demanding jobs. So workers in blue-collar jobs, for instance, accumulate health problems more rapidly as they age, more than workers in less physical jobs And they'll usually experience health gains when they retire. Now, what about financial fitness? So retirement doesn't just threaten the physical and emotional well-being of people. One of maybe the biggest downsides of retirement can be financial. So social security is going to replace maybe, if you're lucky, about 40% of a typical paycheck. If you have an employer pension plan, which are less common today than they were in the past, um, that can help you. But relatively few people have saved enough in a 401k or in a Roth IRA or a regular IRA or elsewhere to guarantee a financial secure old age. So by staying on the job, workers can redeem their retirement prospects. And if you extend your career, you can save part of that additional earning for retirement, which is important, obviously. You know, the average uh, retirement age for men declined steadily in this last century. Now, you do need to accumulate more Social Security credits, which you can do if you work longer. And what's more, retirement savings don't have to last as long when workers delay retirement. So sometimes it gets to, you know, how how long do you think you're going to live? I mean... I always say I want to live to 108 if I'm healthy, don't have dementia, and I still have family and friends that I can play with. So that's a good thing. Like just keep on going. Obviously, if your health is bad, you know you may not. You may want to check out a little bit earlier. But the good news now is that older Americans are working longer. I remember when my um, uncle retired from Bullu Winery, and he had been there 40 something years. He got a gold watch. I don't know too many people that get a gold watch or stay at the same company for 40 years anymore. I, you know, I don't know, you know, it seems especially millennials and the next generation, it's saying that they're going to only stay in a job one to two years and it'll have something like 20 jobs in their lifetime. Well, so it's good to kind of look around 
and to see, um, to think that we have to keep reinventing ourselves. And that seems to be the name of the game for me. I just keep, it's everything I do is creative, but I keep reinventing myself. Now, um, in uh, by last year, the participation rate for 65-year-old men actually in the labor force had increased. So that's kind of a good, that was maybe a good thing for their health. Now, despite some gains, obstacles to work at older ages remain. I mean, one is psychological because people really feel they should retire by a certain age or even earlier because that's the way it's always been. And we have to keep encouraging older workers to stay on the job basically for their own health. As long as they're good at their job, they like their job, they're passionate, you know, they're not burnt out, all of those things um, is a good thing. I mean, they're talking about increasing the retirement age and helping it uh, helping it go up by enabling old workers to stay on the job the rich forms for uh, that could really benefit companies that are facing shortages of skilled workers and it could do more than that it could actually save lives so um, if you were thinking of retiring you know think again now there's a couple of uh, financial errors that the retirers do make And I thought I would just bring these up before we uh, go to our second segment. And that the first mistake would be is that a number of retirees try to eliminate risk by stashing their savings in cash or in CDs or municipal bonds of really short duration. And though taking a conservative approach in retirement can be prudent, playing it too safe really limits your earning potential. And you, that increases your chances that you're going to run out of money. So it's important to build a portfolio that incorporates an appropriate mix of fixed income and equities based on other assets, you know, adding in your Social Security and, um, and any income. Maybe you have rental properties and your spending requirements and, of course, your life expectancy. So if you can put some in stocks and some in cash, Um, and be a little bit aggressive, just slightly more aggressive, you're going to be better. And then spending, that's a big mistake. Some retirees shell out a lot of money early in their retirement, often to pay off debt or for leisure activities that they couldn't do when they're working. They get really expensive vacations, um, you know, or they they just spend more. They remodel their house. And while eliminating debt is a good thing, your large cash outlays can harm a retiree's long-term financial security. So it can make even less sense when a retiree's investments are earning far more than the rate of interest on the debt. And while it's understandable to want to buy a second house, if you take a pricey European vacation or you remodel a home, then you really have to look out and map out the potential lasting effects of that heavy spending. Because, uh, you know, you really can't probably afford a big African safari and then book another trip if you don't have that much money in the bank. So you've got to find that right balance. And the third mistake is underestimating expenses. Be- um, advisors, financial advisors say it's typical for anybody to underestimate their expenses in retirement, particularly health care and other uh, periodic rather than regular expenses. 
And those incremental expenses, if not built into the budget, can really derail you. I mean, if you own your house and you need a new roof, or like last week my refrigerator ran out, fortunately I was able to hire somebody to fix it, but still that was $600, you know? So it's like there's always there's always money that's going out. Or maybe uh, as you're retiring, your adult kids might need some financial support, or maybe you have grandkids and now maybe you're either taking care of them or you have to help them with their education. And, you know, most people are happy to assist on an as-needed basis, but it could be to your detriment. So you really have to look at all that. The fourth mistake is owing too much in taxes. Um when you have both tax-sheltered and taxable accounts, you commonly withdraw exclusively from your taxable account at first. But the danger is that growth within that tax-sheltered account could bump you up to a higher tax bracket once required minimum distributions uh, kick in. So you have to really perform those yearly assessments using different tax scenarios to determine how to best optimize your accounts. So... Again, you want to probably talk to a financial advisor or get some advice on that. And then the fifth mistake is to lack any skepticism. Many retirees are easily swayed by the prospect of finding high returning investments that have little to no risk and choosing yields that can easily derail the savings that you've worked hard to build. So you have to be really skeptical skeptical of products like indexed annuities for retirement. You know, and all those, you know, all those cards you get in the mail that says, hey, free lunch, free dinner, come to this free class. You know, most of them are just trying to sign you up with really expensive investments that usually are going to pad the pockets of the person that signs you up, but generally is not going to help you in any way because the fees can really eat into your retirement saving. So just remember, just you have to be really smart about all of this. All right. Well, you're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We're going to take a very quick break, and we're going to talk about the million species and the human society risk that is happening because of the um, elimination of plant and animal species that are facing the threat of extinction around the world. Don't go away. Tune in to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. You can visit the website starstyleradio.com to find out what's coming and what is past. I'm Cynthia Bryan. We'll be right back. Be the star you are. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Are you seeking a dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world. Lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR. 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 And visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan. www.cynthiabryan.com. 
This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business is calling. Thank you for hanging in there. It's a hot day here in California. I'm sure it's hotter in other parts of the country and, of course, the world. And then there's parts that it's raining and storming. So, definitely, things are changing. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We're coming to you live on the Voice America Network. This is the Empowerment Channel. Well, I was really um, perplexed and saddened when I read a National Geographic recently about all the poachers that have literally um, taken so many animals to the brink of extinction there was an animal on the cover called a pandolin, and I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I had never heard of it, but there are eight different species of a pandolin. They look kind of like an armadillo with a big, long tail and scales, and um, they're the uh, in Asia and in Africa, they actually eat them as bushmeat in Africa, but in Asia, unfortunately... The scales are used and ground up for medications, and there's actually no research to show that it does any good. But So they've been banned. I mean, poaching them or hunting them has been banned in most parts of the world now. But now Africa, the, the pendulums are almost on the brink of extinction because poachers are killing them for their scales mainly and then shipping them to China. So there's all different kinds of enforcement now that are trying to stop this trafficking. And it's said, according to National Geographic, that outside of human trafficking, the trafficking of pandolins is the second largest thing. And they believe that the extinction of them, of the Asian species, is already extinct in Asia because they have uh, poached them to death. So it makes me really sad when you start thinking that there are all these Eastern medicines that are grinding up rhinoceros horns and tusks of elephants, and we're really having a very serious problem with rhinoceros, with with elephants and other other kinds of um, of animals 
just because of poachers. And we just don't want to have an animal go extinct because there are people out there that are just making a little bit of money off of the death of a really majestic animal. Now, getting to the million species and our human society and how we're going to even you know, face a dire risk, human activity has caused so much damage to the earth that one million of the planet's eight million plant and animal species now face the threat of extinction, and many are going to be extinct within the next few decades. And this is uh, by a report that just came out in May from the United Nations Biodiversity. And the loss of species, which is now happening 10 to hundreds of times as fast as the average rate over the past 10 million years, it poses a dire threat to our ecosystem all over the world. And here are some of the takeaways from it. So, it's really going to be an unnatural history. There are more than 7 billion people on Earth right now. And those 7 billion people are exploiting natural resources, causing pollution and driving climate change, which we already know. And the report casts that the impact is, um, is just astronomically horrific. In urban areas, at, um, well, urban areas since 1992 have doubled in size just since 1992. Crop production has tripled since 1970. Pollution from plastics has gone up tenfold since 1980. And human activity has severely altered 66% of marine life and 75% of land environments. I mean, think about that. 66% of our oceans and 75% of our land masses. And in most land habitats, the average abundance of native species has fallen by a fifth. So 20% of native species are already gone. Now, more than 33% or one third of marine mammals, that's a third of the reef forming corals, 40% of amphibians, they are threatened with extinction. And an estimated 10% of insects are also at risk. I was reading an article about the destruction of insects. Now, not too many people, you know, unless you are studying insects, you know, most people aren't really thrilled with having bugs around them. Of course, we don't like ticks and mosquitoes, but, you know, there's also the spiders and all kinds of other of other insects that are out there, that uh, bees and bumblebees and butterflies that are good for our planet. But the sad thing is, is that if the insect population goes, then what's going to happen is if there's a trickle-down effect to extinction because what feeds on insects? And then if they don't have any food, then it goes right up the chain. So insects are the ones that pollinate our crops And if we can't pollinate our crops, then it's going to get to the humans can't eat either. So we have a climate emergency. The the loss of biodiversity is not just a problem for nature lovers. I mean, human life is uh, inextricably linked with natural ecosystems. So three quarters of our crops are dependent on the animal pollination that I was just saying. $577 billion worth of crops could be lost every single year if pollination were to die out. 
and 23% of land is already less productive as a result of the degrading um, types of of, uh, human interference that's going on. So the destruction of our coastal habitats, it's heightened our flood and our hurricane risks for 100 million to 300 million people. So we are actually, as humans, eroding the very foundations of our economies, our livelihoods, our food security, our health, and our quality of life worldwide. I mean, think about right now just the the huge, um, what was it, over a million people had to be evacuated in India because of the hurricane that happened there. Think of the terrible hurricanes that we have had on um, our east coast in, in the Gulf of Mexico, as well as the terrible fires throughout the west and the southwest. We just, and, and you know, and the volcanoes that have erupted, <laughs> that uh, and the earthquakes that have happened, and the tsunamis. It seems that the climate not only is just changing, but it is becoming incredibly disruptive. And what are we doing about it? So how can we save the earth? Scientists say that species loss and climate change can only be tackled with transformative measures. And what do those include? It's an overhaul of international trade. And goodness knows, right now, Americas are in trade wars with so many countries, um, including China, Canada, Mexico. I mean, this is all really bad. We need to have a massive investment in forests and in green energy. And as individuals, we need to change our behaviors. Like perhaps consuming less meat. Maybe we have to get to, you know, me eating meat once or twice a week. And I'm a carnivore, so I'm not a vegan or anything. And I'm not bad-mouthing meat because I do like it. uh, And I do like vegetables. But in order to have the meat, we have to have the farms and we have to have the produce and all of that is, you know, it's it's costing our environment. So while experts say we need a paradigm shift, policy makers are remaining divided over radical environmental action. So we have to agree on a plan first and the sad part is the future is looking bleak for all of us. And so we have to do what we can to maintain the status quo and to try to change what is happening. And speaking of that too, um, my recent blog on the Voice America blog is on firescaping for survival and it is how you can, uh, what you can plant and what you can do so that you will have, be safer in a fire. And then on top of that, by just growing some of your own vegetables, even if you live in an apartment, you can have a couple pots, you know, in a windowsill or if you have a, a balcony or a patio or a porch, anything like that. Every little, anything that you can do can help. If you can walk more, take a bicycle instead of jumping in your car. Here in California, you know, we are car people because most, the transportation system isn't as it is in uh, most of the big urban cities and even people who live in in San Francisco or Los Angeles distances are far. So most people still have to have a car and you have to jump in your car to get someplace. So do whatever you can, you know, to 
put a smaller footprint on our planet and do some research on the extinction of the plants and animals that are happening right now. Because even those little small amoebas, those small little things that we think don't matter, everything has a chain reaction. And when you start looking into it and reading how you how one thing influences another, we start realizing how we're all interconnected. So when we come back from this, uh, this break, we will be talking about uh, relationships and how that you can have great kids and a great partnership or marriage by, you know, putting each other first. I'm Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. Don't go away because we will be back. Be the star you are, the star you are, be the star you are, you are the star. Change your world, change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Business Bites, here's Cynthia Bryan. If you want to encourage creativity and abstain from micromanaging, make sure that your team understands your expectations, your intentions, and your consequences. Explain what it means to you to have a successful project completion and make sure your team is on the same page as you. Provide the training and share the skills needed. Don't be concerned with how the job is completed. But that is, is completed on time, within budget, and is useful for everyone. Allow mistakes and errors because that's how people learn. And then ask for feedback and let them know that you are available whenever they need you. Then step away and let the people get the job done. You are the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profit. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style. For more information or to book a, co- a coaching or consultation, visit CynthiaBryan.com. That's CynthiaBryan.com. Be the star you are. The star you are. The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. Bethestarur.org. Dare to care. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business is calling out. 
Okay, well, we're back, and I'm still Cynthia Bryan, and you are still you, and hopefully we're still all look, you know, listening to our show because uh, we are going to be talking about how to love your spouse or your partner even more than your kids, and I know that one is a hard one. Because parents' love for their children can make them do, like, really silly things. Like, staying up until, you know, 2 in the morning gluing glitter on a project. Or driving 50 miles to deliver, a, you know, a soccer ball. Or, or like we saw recently, uh, bribing a teenager's way into fancy colleges. Or actually, um, you know, doing worse than that. But one of the weirdest things that parents do is love their kids more than their partners. And so this is something that I thought was very fascinating because what happens is, you know, you really do love your kids. You can't imagine after you you know, have found your partner and you get married or whether you get married or don't get married, but you've got that person that you want to spend your life with, you just can't even imagine how you could love anybody more than that person and then you have a child and you fall madly deeply in love I mean it's unbelievable how it is Um, whether you are adopting the child or having your own children it is kind of unbelievable how much you love these kids and then you know what happens is especially when they're young when they're babies you have to put their needs first because obviously they can't feed themselves. You know, they can't change their own diapers. They need to be held. They need to be comforted. Um, they need a lot of attention. And your partner doesn't need to be fed or dressed or have their tears dried. And, you know, they may be very beautiful or handsome, but gosh, those babies are really cute. So you don't really have. Uh, a choice. All of a sudden, you just fall in love with your babies. So, why is it harder work for us to love our spouses or our partners as much? Now, the, one of the reasons the research is strongly suggesting that children whose parents love each other are much happier and more secure than those who are raised in a loveless environment. Now, I think most of us already know that. I was really one of the lucky ones. I had two parents that were really madly, deeply in love with one another. And it was so obvious to see from the time I was young. And both of them loved us madly, deeply. And so we were such a cohesive family because there was just tons of love to go around. But that's not how all families are. Sometimes there is, it's a single uh, parent There might be only, you know, it might be just a mom or it might be just a dad, not sure, um, that's there. And unfortunately, you know, that uh, can lead to um, the kids feeling like they're in a a relationship that doesn't have a whole lot of love. So um, when you have a model of not just what a relationship looks like, but how people should treat each other, kids do better. Now, there are diary studies in which parents have logged their day's activities every evening, and they show that mishandled tensions between a couple spill over into their parenting skills and their parenting interactions with their kids, and especially for men. 
Children whose parents are often hostile to each other blame themselves for the fighting, and then they do worse at school. And that's uh, research has has proven this. So you know when you're when you don't when your parents are fighting, kids tend to think that it's their fault. The kids tend to think that they did something wrong, and then they just can't thrive. As there was a survey of forty thousand households in the United Kingdom in 2014, and it revealed that adolescents were happier overall when their mothers were happy in their relationships with their male partners. And that was for parents who stayed together. The outcomes for kids of divorce, even the days of, you know, conscious uncoupling, as they would call, are generally darker. So one of the best things that you can do for your kids is to love the heck out of your partner or your spouse and do what you can to stay together. Now, obviously, you know, not all relationships are going to work, but that's why we have to do our homework in the first place and really, really attempt to make to make the uh, our first time around, especially when we're going to be parents, the right time around. Now, if we ever knew that, we probably have forgotten that we really need to love our partner more because there was a Pew research that young that asked young people in 2010 whether kids or good marriage were more important for a happy life. And guess what? It was kids' happiness won by a margin of three times as big when researchers asked the previous generation in 1997. But betting all your joy on your offspring is really a short-term strategy because those adorable little toddlers turn into the toxic teens and they don't want to have any public display of warmth, right? They're the end. Teens can be sullen. I mean, you know, I actually, I actually really love teens. I love working with teens. I loved having my own kids be teens. But not, you know, teens leave you. <laughs> so, and grown kids don't want to be the object of all your affection. And they don't want to be the repository of all your dreams. And they really don't want to be your therapist. So, you never really want to hear, um, you know, you know, as when you're an adult, you don't want to hear, the problems of your parents. So if you've done your job as parents, one day your home is mostly going to hold you and your partner and um, the you know our phones and stuff to send messages to our kids and so that you know we're not ignoring them. But parents can get so invested in the enterprise of child rearing, especially in those younger days. And you know there are those helicopter, parents which we know about and that is really bad and that moves the task from undertaking as a team to the sole point of the team's existence therapists have said that what's behind the doubling of the divorce rate among folks 50 and tripling among those over 65 in the past 25 years guess what it is it's the empty nest split and the reason for that is that these um these couples really didn't spend the time investing in their relationship. Instead, they put all their, all their energy into the kids. And now that the kids are gone, though they, as a couple, really can't relate anymore. So there was a gerontologist at Cornell University who interviewed 700 copy, uh, couples, not copies, 700 couples for his uh, book, 30 Lessons for Loving. 
And he says that one of his biggest discovery was how dangerous the middle-aged blur of kids and activities and work was to people's relationship because it was amazing how few of them could remember a time that they had spent alone with their partner. And it was what they, they really had given up on each other because they thought the kids were more important. And so over and over again, people come back to consciousness at 50 or 55, but now it's too late. They can't go to a restaurant and they can't have a conversation. So the only way to prevent that sad metamorphosis is to remember that the kids are not the reason that you got together that the kids are at a very absorbing project that you've undertaken with each other kind of like a three-dimensional puzzle <laughs> they talk back and then they leave you so you don't want to focus on it so much that you can't uh, focus on each other so it's really a key when you're in a marriage and you have kids or you're in a partnership and you have kids together that you still have that weekly date that you still take time for each other that you still remember all the little things that you did to make each other happy whether you know it was going to the going to the zoo with without kids or you know having a picnic on the lawn or just that glass of wine after work or anything fun that you like to do without the kids. So you have to make sure to keep those relationships alive. That's really critical. Now, you know, I, I alluded to the college scandal, and so I just wanted to give a, a lesson that we can all have as a takeaway from that whole rotten debacle. I mean, it was, it was really bad. As parents, I mean, all parents, whether you're wealthy or not, we all want the best for our kids. But we have to be careful how we define what best is because we have to foster a notion of conditional self-worth and we really can't foster a definition of self-esteem and self-confidence by letting our kids know that the only way that we really love them is if they get into the best school or they wear the trendiest clothes or they wear, you know, they drive the fastest car. That's all going to backfire. So forget about the word best and look for what is a best fit for your children. You want to smooth the way for them, but not so much that you're doing the work for them because, you know, we don't want the kids to have what we call an imposter syndrome. I mean, I just can't imagine what the children of those parents who faked the their photos to show that they were either tennis players or on crew or soccer players when they had never even played the sport. I, I would feel if I got into a college like that, I would feel totally like an imposter. So we know that whenever you work for something, you feel so much more pride in it. And it's not good just to hand something to your kids just because it's going to boost your self Image, you know, I mean, we have to get away from that. Our kids are not little mirrors of us. We do the best we can. And again, getting back to our relationship, keep that relationship with your partner alive. And it's often the case that those who create family wealth do so by working hard, making mistakes, picking themselves up, and persevering. And kids don't inherit self-discipline, resourcefulness, and resilience. They have to develop those qualities themselves. So, as a parent, we can help them by making sure that 
any family assets that we have are used in a positive way. And by giving kids a chance to be involved in family finances and to make their own mistakes. So make sure that your kids, you know, are working to get their allowance or they're mowing lawns or babysitting or whatever it is. They're doing little chores. But if you're just handing your kids everything, you're not showing them how they're going to be able to stand on their own two feet. So, you know, something you can do is start with a family mission statement that highlights the values that you want to foster, highlights the values of you and your spouse as a couple. And then the values for education, entrepreneurship, uh, philanthropy, example. Because money is just a tool. It's not a target. And um, we really have to be really careful about how we want to achieve our success. So we don't want to just hand, hand it out. And the most important thing we can do in a relationship is to keep that relationship alive, especially if we're going to have kids. And our kids really pick up on that. Well, that is our show for today. Thank you so much for being listeners here 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Network. We are the Empowerment Channel, and we are coming to you live. And the show is brought to you by Be The Star You Are Charity. Visit the charity at bethestarur.org and consider making a donation. That would be fantastic. Also, um, go to my website, cynthiabryan.com, where you can find information on coaching, the different books that I've written, which are eight books now. And if you go to cynthiabryan forward slash books, um, you can see all the different books. And there's many books that will make some great gifts out there. So cynthiabryan.com. Uh, let's see. Oh, yes. I want to just always, you know, all of my books are encouraging. They're inspiring. Some of them are amusing, and they'll definitely motivate you to be your best self. So, again, pick up a book this week, and maybe it might be Growing with the Goddess Gardener or one of the series, Be the Star You Are, because that is actually my favorite series. So until next week when we celebrate once again, remember that love always wins. Kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan for Star Style. I thank you, and I encourage you, be the star you are. Be your unapologetically authentic self, and make this a wonderful week. Dream, create, inspire, and make a difference. And may every week be the best week of your life. Join me next Wednesday, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific, right here on the Voice America Network. Until then, have a very happy, happy week, and thank you. Be the star you are, the star you are, be the star you are, you are the star. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. 
Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan, every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are.